All right, so hey, Rachel, how you doing? Hey, Nico, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Everything's all right in uh, Chicago land. Uh, everything's all right. Yeah, just a little bit of a quarantine here and uh, staying inside and doing some work. And I guess that's about <laughs> it for now. Yeah, same here. I mean, we're all you know all doing the same thing. Well, at least you had a chance to drive some cars recently. I did. So yeah, I did. Fortunately, uh, I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's tough, but. At the same time, I actually just have to cancel, um, have to cancel one because you know it's getting kind of crazy here. You yeah. Don't want to, you know, be getting in cars that other people have been driving, and they exactly. they say they clean them, but you know you just gotta. And I don't want to, and, and it's not fair to risk other people have to clean them and stuff. I think it's just best to uh, take a little bit of a break from the cars, but had some exactly. good ones over the past past few weeks. So it's really yeah, interesting so ones. So I think we'll we're gonna talk about that a little bit today, too, right? Uh yeah sure we talk about uh talk about a few things but I think the first thing we should you know talk about is definitely the uh, the BMW iX because that is the biggest news surrounding BMW right now like yeah, by far that's uh, true uh, that one launched about what two weeks ago yeah and it's still dominating it it is yeah I mean the headlines are still there um, we still see a lot of comments on our uh, social media feed <laughs> as well and I think we're gonna talk about that a little bit as well but um yeah so what did you think about the car? The iX, uh, it's it's definitely an interesting car. Uh, I I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the controversial styling first, but overall, I actually think it looks pretty cool. Um, I think it's a good-looking car for the most part, and I think the interior is fabulous. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. best interior BMW's done since the i3, and it, I think it has just as big of an impact as the i3 on the inside. Like, it really kind of pushes the game forward for interior designs of, like, EVs and stuff. Yeah. Um, and specs-wise, it seems yeah. good. Yeah, so on the interior, I think that's also a preview of what we're going to see on the i4 and especially on the 7 Series. So I expect the new 7 Series, okay. whenever it comes out in two years, um, it's probably going to have a similar approach to the interior with a very large curved screen and probably even more minimalistic look. So I think um, we're going to see some of those design elements into the 7 Series too. Yeah, that's uh that's actually really interesting to hear for the seven series because you know in that segment that big high-end ultra luxury segment like the s-class and all those other cars that compete mm-hmm. um that like minimalist design doesn't really seem to be the trend at least right now so yeah. the idea of it being like kind of minimalist and kind of futuristic is really interesting to see from a seven series i guess yes and no i mean mostly because um the the flagship seven series it's going to be the i7 okay. so that's going to be an all electric car so it kind of makes sense that they're going to be a little right. bit more uh, futuristic and a little bit more uh, minimalistic in in design so i think that's why but um i guess we will see how much uh, you know they will reduce in terms of you know switches and buttons and all of that right but uh, i'm i'm pretty confident that we will see a very very large screen inside and likely curve too yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I personally, I like the idea of that kind of interior because I think the iX looks great. Um, and you mentioned the i4. The i4 concept car, the interior was incredible. It's beautiful. I mean, it was I like, agree. it's awesome. So exactly. that would be, I think that'd be really cool on a 7 Series. And I like that in terms of luxury because that minimalist design is kind of like, I don't know, to me at least, it's like easy on the eyes, you know? It's not, mm-hmm. there's not so much stuff in your face and it's it's kind of just relaxed. And I think to me, that's, that's luxury, right? Being relaxed. Yeah, exactly. And you know? I think a lot of automakers are moving towards that. But yeah, if we yeah. uh, if we backtrack just a little bit to the overall design, um, 
I've been asked this question a few times, you know, even by my friends and even some readers, you know, what I think about the exterior design. And honestly, you know, I'm 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 split on that. I don't totally love it, but I don't hate it either. I think from my point of view, there was no other approach to the design on the outside, especially to the Kimi grill. Because if you look at the latest trends that they've done, it was kind of clear. And they've also showed the concept with the same large Kimi grill. So it's really no big surprise there. And also at the same time, I just don't know why people expected a an X5 like size car and then have kind of like a, the same design and might as well just make an X5 and turn it into an EV like the X3 and just call it a day. But I think right. the iX, it's not just another X5 or another SUV. It's really like a flagship, you know, uh, highly advanced you know, car, and I think they wanted to give it a independent look. And of course, you know, they could have done the grill a little bit smaller and different. But you know, seeing the latest trends, uh, I'm, I'm, I was hundred percent sure that that's that's gonna stay. Uh, you know, as far as the size and all, and also to keep in mind that some of those design languages are probably set in motion way back, uh, probably yeah. you know five six years, and maybe at that time they were thinking that that's the approach that they want to take, and maybe by now. You know, 2020, they're already planning future models and they might even, you know, shift from that uh, design language to a new one. So we just don't know yet. But yes, it's controversial, just like the M4 and the M3 and the 4 Series. And, you know, uh, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. But, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit uh, on Slack. Uh, I don't think people will, will buy the iX just because of the design. I think people will buy the iX because it's an all-electric car, if they get you no know, decent range, which I think they will, you know, like at least 300 miles on the uh, EPA uh, uh, test, so that's pretty good. And especially that's the top pricing. end one, just to be clear, right? Yeah, that's a top end one. I think. I mean, they only announced one, so from what I know, there will be three variants, but they really haven't confirmed that to me. But I, that's kind of what I heard a while back. Um, and I think all of them will range from anywhere from, you know, 250, 280 to over 300 miles, you right. know, range. Of course, the range always varies, you know, that's best case scenario. So if you live in a, you know, a cold weather, uh, you know, area, then, you know, you might, you might get a little less range in the winter, but best case yeah. scenario, I guess that's kind of what they say. So, um, that's my take. So I think if they price the car correctly, uh, I, I did a, actually a Zoom um, meeting with uh, Frank Van Meel, the former head of uh, BMW M. Yeah. Uh, now he's the vice president of uh, luxury cars at uh, BMW and Rolls-Royce, I believe. And then also with the uh, project manager uh, of the iX. And I asked the question on pricing, and they were kind of you know talking about the European pricing a little bit. And they said that we should expect something in line with the X5 variant. So... What it means is that if you were to buy an X5 40i in Europe, they were trying to price the iX around the same range. And then if you're going high to the uh, X5 M50i, that's going to be probably the top model, you know, iX. Of course, that's the base model. And, you know, as with most electric cars, I think the options will add up quickly. So that's why I predicted in a previous article that we would see likely, you know, uh, iX models being over $100,000 if they have a few options on it. So it's going to come down to pricing for sure. It's going to come down to the incentives, just like the i3. The i3 hasn't really sold well for a while because when it came out, there were really not that uh, many incentives and, and strong and strong programs, uh, the lease programs. But I think in time, they uh, they started to offer more uh, 
uh, you know, discounts and then it became really affordable and now you can't really find one to buy. They're, they're really not that many in the US that you can purchase today. So yeah. if the IX gets a really, gets really good support from the BMW Financial Services, I think they're going to sell a lot of them and that segment is still wide open. I don't see, uh, you know, a top leader right now. I mean, aside from, you know, the Tesla, which they've been selling in that segment for a while. Right. But from the premium automakers, they've all really just started to come out with, you know, the EQC, which I don't, don't even know if it's a direct competitor, or the e-tron, which doesn't really sell well either, mostly because of the price. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's going to be interesting because BMW isn't going to lure any Tesla customers away. They are Tesla customers. It's like 911 customers. They're just not going to, yeah. you know, they're not going to change. The, the EQC is interesting. Um, it, it's I think it's the same size. I think it's uh, maybe it's a little bit smaller than like the iX. So the iX um, it's somewhere between the X5 and the X7 as far as size. Okay, so it's probably a good amount bigger than the EQC. Then the e-tron is really quite big. It's a big SUV and it's huge on the inside, but um, it just doesn't have the range to compete at that price point. It's like seventy grand, and yeah. it just it barely does over two hundred miles of range. Um, it's a great luxury car, but it's just not a good EV. So I think the iX in that segment i think the only dark horse candidate to compete with the ix actually might be the jack i-pace you know its range isn't great but it looks incredible and it drives Mm -hmm. really well and it's really fast so like i think that the ix really doesn't really have that much natural competition um at that price point you know and that size i think it's actually a pretty good spot for bmw to be yeah and i think it's you'll actually mention the tesla customers not leaving the brand that's probably true but also at the same time it's also fair to say that you know many bmw customers they're not going to go to tesla either now if right, they have an option right. within the uh, bmw range because now if you wanted to get like an electric suv you would have to look outside the brand especially in the us since they're not selling the ix3 here so right. at least with the ix now they can offer their you know base customers a car and hopefully they can get some you know future ev you know owners into the brand as well so i think it's going to do well for the brand especially in the u.s i mean like everyone loves suvs and crossovers and trucks here so i honestly believe that you know if they're priced right and they have decent range and and a good charging network i think the electric suvs will will sell well hopefully in time the uh, economies of you know of scale will will work in their favor so they can get cheaper and cheaper and that way you know, it becomes more affordable for a lot of people. Right. And now on the topic of styling, I think that's going to be the only real, if it's going to mm-hmm. be priced X5 pricing, I think style is going to be the only thing that really um, hurts, the, could hurt the X, the IX mm-hmm. because, you know, at the same price range, it, like spec wise, the IX and with its incredible interior seems like mm-hmm. a no brainer, you know, it's all electric. Yeah. It's pretty fast. Um, it's got a ton of space, a great interior and you know it has decent range but i think you know if you're a bmw customer especially a bmw customer because there hasn't been you know an electric suv so if you're an Mm -hmm. suv customer the x5 is your car it's such a good looking car and it's so Mm -hmm. good you know i think that that style might be the only reason people say well i'd rather get the x5 because the Mm -hmm. the ix is a bit too controversial but is it is it the same customer though? So I don't I don't know the, I don't the know. studies. You know, I don't know. I I kind of wish I would see a a marketing study done by BMW on the iX customer to kind of see who that you know person is. But I would say from my point of view, 
I and that's my personal opinion. I don't think it's an X5 customer. It's really someone that you know, you know, wants to buy an electric car and wants to be part of this future, you know. And it's kind of the same customer that was into the i3 because the i3 was not, you know, a, a great yeah. looking car. It was very very well designed and and really practical and fun to drive, but you can't really say that it was, you know, a great looking car. Yet, you know, today they're selling quite well and, you know, they sold hundreds of thousands of them, you know, over the last, you know, you know, six years when that car came out. Yeah. So so it's it's not too bad. And I think the iX has the potential to sell even more. So that's why I think that the customer it might be a little bit different, it might not be the same type of customer. And once again, if the price is right, I think they will sell uh, they will sell a few of them. So you think do you think the iX customer is more likely to be an i3 customer or an X5 customer? Do you, you think the i3? I would say an i3 customer because I I mean I look at the small sample of i3 customers that I know and people that I follow online and or participate in some of those uh, Facebook discussion groups and I've been seeing over the last few years they've been they've been looking for a larger BMW electric car either a sedan or an SUV and some of them made the jump to other brands, even, you know, people like Tom Malogny, which is like a huge BMW i3 guy, mm-hmm. an ActiV made the jump to other brands, you know, Tesla Model 3. Yeah, because Tesla, else. right? Yeah. Exactly. So only because he wanted, you know, something bigger, something different. And see people, I've, I've seen people that had an i3 and wanted a, an electric SUV and they went with the RD e-tron. So now... I see, you know, a lot of the i3 people definitely being interested into an iX and clearly in, uh, for an i4 as well. Yeah. But um, I guess time will tell, you know. I mean, we'll, we will see. Definitely different markets, different customer demands. Well, you know, Europe, it's all about, still about diesels and all of that. So we will see yeah. how the electric cars will sell there. Um, I would say, you know, countries like Norway, Denmark, uh they will definitely sell a lot of electric cars. I mean, that that market is already incredible when, when it comes to electric cars. And yeah, I have is. no doubt that they will sell a lot of iX cars there. China as well. China is definitely, uh, you know, the next huge, if not the biggest market for electric cars. And I think yeah. that will be very successful for them as well. So, um, I agree. so that's kind of like on the iX. And then we'll see. I mean, there'll definitely be people that will look at the styling. Clearly, I mean, there's still a lot, a lot of people that appreciate a very good looking car and uh, that large Kenny Griddle might not be there a cup of tea, but um, again, I guess we we will see in time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think there are two um, two trains of thought when it comes to developing an EV, and I've kind of discussed this in different articles in the past, and we're seeing it a little bit with Audi right now because I feel like with EVs you can go one or two directions with styling. You can either go super futuristic and wild, mm-hmm. which is the iX. Or you can go with really traditional, which is the Audi e-tron, which doesn't look any looks barely different than a Q7 or a Q8. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, doesn't look different at all. So, which do you think customers? You know, you know what I mean. Like, where do you think customers are going to go? Do you think they're going to? Do you think like do you I want honestly... to attract the traditional customer with the traditional looking car, or do you want to try to attract EV customers with the futuristic one? That's a tough one. So, I mean, I would just have to speculate. I mean, if I were from 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 my point of view. I would prefer an electric BMW to look different than than a series car. So like the iX3, it's you know it's just an X3. Like to me, it doesn't look special enough to you know right. uh, to make me say, wow, I really want to buy the car. I mean, it's it's a good looking car because the X3, it's a it's a good looking car, but it doesn't right, really yeah. stand out that much, you know, like on the road. And unless you see it from up close, you're not gonna tell that it's an 
it's an electric car. So from my point of view, I would prefer you know a, a different styling to differentiate a little bit more. But then at the same time, you know there might be that customer base that it's very conservative. They just like that you know typical BMW look. You know they don't want anything. Uh, you know special there might be people that they really don't want to stand out you know like in the crowd they just you know really don't want to be seen with having an electric car maybe or who knows i mean it's like in europe like a lot of people they debadge their five series and seven series you know they so people don't know how much money they have so if they're driving like a you know m760 li they will debadge the car so no one really knows right. how much money they actually <laughs> make or the five series sedan the same thing and a lot of the executives don't want to be seen driving expensive cars, so they do that. So maybe those type of people will actually appreciate a car that looks just like another BMW. Right. But I mean, like I said, it will be very, very interesting to see a, a customer study, a marketing study done by BMW, and, and kind of describe that to you know iExpert persona or the you know electric customer persona. It will be interesting to see. Right. Well. Yeah. It, it, jumping a little bit topics, uh, sure. you know, from the iX to a similar topic. Uh, because of the iX's like controversial design, um, BMW Germany put out a tweet uh, that I, f- I forgot the exact wording, but it was like "Okay, Boomer." It was an "Okay, Boomer" tweet, kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know, fighting back a little bit against the criticism mm-hmm. of the the iX and basically trying to tell people that like you know designs need to evolve and to change, you mm-hmm. need to kind of try to evolve with it. Um, and we had a discussion the other day about this because. Uh, Afterwards, they got a lot of backlash from that tweet. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were like, <laughs> how are you going to get mad at us for, for not liking the design? And then they apologized. So what is your take on the, the whole Twitter controversy? Yes, I think it was a tweet on the BMW Global account, which is likely run by a German you know, social media agency that either works within BMW or with BMW. So clearly it was approved by BMW. Um, I mean, it again. I think it's a it's a it's a cultural difference, you know, in in thinking there. Um, they probably saw that tweet as something being funny, you know, and a little bit edgy, but that doesn't always play out well in different countries. Um, right. So, I mean, I'm 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 trying to figure out how to put this. You know, it's it was definitely edgy. I think it um, uh, it irked people for sure especially in the u.s i've seen a lot of magazines talking about this but yeah, it's at definitely the same time at the same time if you were to think from a pr perspective so from a communication perspective you usually want to get ahead of the story right so you don't want to be reactive to something that you know that it's coming so basically you knew that people are going to be talking about that kidney grill it was so obvious it was it was there and it was coming so i guess they were just trying to say Let's get ahead of the game, you know. Let's try to just put it out there. We know that it's, you know, uh, you know, might not be uh, well liked, but uh, this is why we think, you know, you should like it. Now it's a little bit bold to say, you know, this is why you should like this one and you should embrace the future with us and all of that. But I honestly don't see it as a really bad tweet. Just depends how you interpret the whole thing. And they did apologize, you know. I don't know uh, exactly what the apology was. that's all just, about yeah it was just kind of like uh we apologize if we offended anyone i think the the issue with the apology because at least the way they they made it seem in the apology or maybe this is just mm-hmm. my interpretation of it but it seemed as if um there was some backlash of bmw kind of mocking boomers 
mm-hmm. because in the in the apology it said something along the lines of like we didn't try to offend anyone and regardless of age like you know i hope everyone joins us on this electric journey or something mm-hmm. like that so mm-hmm. i i don't know if there was some uh hurt feelings among boom the boomer generation i don't really know yeah, some of those cheeky lines, you know, they don't really apply to all the countries, all the continents and all of that. So while it might sound funny in one place, it might not sound funny in, a, in another one. Right, so, right. so sometimes, you know, you probably have to be a little bit more careful with their choice of words, but I don't think it was intended to be in any way offensive and all of that. And, you know, some people did find it offensive and that's fine too. And I'm glad that they apologized. But I think in the end, the message was, you know, you know, let's let's try to change the future together. And this is, you know, the 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 next step. Of course, you know, it's not always pleasant to tell people what they should like. But then, then again, I I've I've always heard this quote from Steve Jobs that said, you know, sometimes customers don't really know what they want until you actually show it to them or you know right, present right, it yeah. to them. So sometimes that's that's true. Sometimes it's not. But I guess they were trying to kind of go down that route and. Um, yeah, yeah it's it interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because the, the iX is definitely, I, and I said this to you the other day, I, I actually like the car. And I've said mm-hmm. this in other articles. I think the car looks good. Yeah. Like 90% of it, I, I don't like the and grill. It's got to be frustrating but, for them too, right? Because if you're an engineer or a designer and you work on a car and you, uh, and you uh, let's, let's just say you're an engineer and you, and you build this amazing high-tech car. I mean, you put everything in it and it's so good you know, and everything else. And then, the car comes out and everybody focuses on just one element, the kidney. Yeah. And it nothing else to, matters, absolutely. right? Like, yeah. It has to be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're like, but then again, that's not an excuse, you know, for any of those tweets and any one of that. But that's the, that's the, that's the life of social media today. Right. And, right. Uh, I mean, and it's not the engineers making the tweets, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's social media. It's a PR team. But um, exactly. like, I do get it from a design from a design perspective. That is, especially the designers are the ones actually designing the, the you know, the grill. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because when you definitely, when you design something that bold and that different, you have to expect at least a little bit of backlash. Um, mm-hmm. and I think my, my thing was, I don't think the tweet was inherently wrong. Um, I just think that they could have maybe warded a little bit better because they were trying to tell fans basically that the criticism of the grill, um, was unfair and by definition styling is subjective. Mm-hmm. So people are entitled to not like it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like BMW's very loyal customers. I mean, it's getting a lot mm-hmm. of, even the four series, you know, those cars are getting a lot of criticism from loyal mm-hmm. BMW customers that are saying like, this is not what BMW design is. And this is not the sort of designs that I fell in love with. Um, so I think maybe <laughs> trying to kind of bridge that gap might've been smarter rather than just outright criticize them. But yeah, exactly. it, I, yeah. I didn't think there was anything inherently like bad about it i think they just mm-hmm. could have maybe gone about it a little bit a little bit differently yeah definitely i mean there is no doubt about that but um yeah like once again proves you know some of those uh cultural differences you know sometimes that uh yeah of and, course especially between germany times. and you know the U- u.s and uk yeah um you know we're inherently quite <laughs> critical in the u.s yeah. and the uk so we're gonna kind of pick people apart um, exactly. over everything but they they did a pretty good job with the iX though they did this uh, campaign when it came out and they put out you know six videos kind of you know showing the iX in different stages before the unveil and there were a bunch of you know uh, skits you know uh, with mm-hmm. actors talking. I like the Christoph Waltz one yeah and that one too but there was something before that where they were just kind of like 
making fun of themselves, you know, with the, you know, the, the German stereotypes and all of that. So that was quite funny actually to see BMW, you know, poking jokes at, at themselves too. And right, right. There were, yeah. there were also some, uh, some, some skits there, some sketches, you know, with, with, you know, engineers versus designers and all of that. So that was kind of, you know, fun to see, but then at the same time, then they came out with that tweet after. So it was this whole <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a good car. Nevertheless, I think it's going to be a car that uh, really allows BMW to compete mm-hmm. with Tesla and compete with um, yeah. the entire, I would say the entire Volkswagen group because you know, they're doing actually quite a lot of electric cars right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a really good car. And I think that's what's going to drive it is, you know, if it's a good car, people will buy it, you know, regardless exactly. of its design. And I think yeah. it's going to be the same thing with the 4 Series and the M4 as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're good, people will buy them. So Yeah. And the last thought on the iX we did publish an article on this one. So basically the iX is <clears> built, it's built on its own, on its, on its own platform. And um, I think they're coming out in 2025 with this, you know, another CLAR modular platform that's going to support all the uh, drive trains and power trains. So basically, you know, petrol, diesel, hybrid, even fuel cell and electric. But I think the iX from what I've learned, it's built on its own platform. So what it means really just like the i3 and then the i8 it actually gave them freedom probably to do different things with the packaging with the inside space with the design and all of that uh, also with a battery package placement so i foresee a, you know a great 50 50 weight distribution and probably a very low center of gravity too so the car should drive pretty well because of that so I think the exciting part about the iX it's really the the architecture you know that was really built on and I'm hoping that they're gonna you know dive into that and tell us more in the future and that's why I think the iX will be a good car and this is where the uh, philosophy of uh, a dedicated EV platform or a platform where they they call it power of choice so basically one platform that can support more uh powertrains um this will be interesting to see which one is the right approach you know and um some other premium automakers are going one route the others are going the other one so we'll find out in a few years um yeah. which one made it right bad yeah it is interesting that whole discussion because like you said there are different you know trains of thought among automakers and different ways to do it and mm-hmm. no one really knows, I guess, which one's going to be the best because this is uncharted waters for every automaker. So I, you know, there's no, there's no, um, you know, point of reference. Exactly. So, you know, maybe BMW's route works where they just kind of put everything on one scalable, you know, flexible architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you look at like the Volkswagen Group, who has two architectures. Well, technically more than that, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, basically they they have their internal combustion engine slash hybrid architectures, and then one architecture that does all EVs. Um, so it's interesting to see which one will kind of work out better. Um, but I think yeah. the main takeaway with the iX was that it's kind of odd that they invested so much money into the iX architecture, which is really impressive. It's got carbon core tech, that a lot of carbon mm-hmm. fiber in it, a lot of high strength, um, you know, like aluminum and lightweight mm-hmm. materials. And it's really impressive. And then they're not going to use it on any other car. That seems to That's me, true. I mean, I'm not a, I'm no professional. I'm like no professional executive, but that seems like a bit of a waste. Um, yeah, I don't know the full story yet, and I'm. I mean, honestly, I was supposed to travel to Germany, you know, and kind of find out more about the IX. There were a bunch of uh, events scheduled with uh, with board members and all of that to kind of learn more about this. I was hoping to do that, but unfortunately, the, the pandemic put a stop to that, so I couldn't. 
but I'm, I'm definitely interested to find out more about the architecture and the, and the decision behind it. I'm also assuming, again, that this decision was made a while back, I had probably know, knowing them at, at least at least five, six years back, if not more. So maybe at that time they were thinking that that's the right approach. I honestly don't know, but um, I would I would love to find out more and um, hopefully we can report on that soon. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Cool. All right, maybe so, people are tired uh, of, of the IX. What's the... Yeah, yeah I was going to say, let's jump into what? something that uh, in BMW enthusiasts might actually like, you know, like more because it's old school style BMW. But... um. It is the M2 CS and the M2 competition because I had the very, very special chance to drive those two back to back. When I went to BMW's Test Fest up in Monticello, uh, New York, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, BMW lent me, because he can't fly anywhere. So mm -hmm. to, to get me there, BMW gave me an M2 competition to drive nice. to the event. And then there I was able to drive the M2 CS. So I had like, a, you know, I, I mean, I went right from an M2 comp right into an M2CS and then back. Mm -hmm. So I was able to really test them out. And the differences are really interesting. Um, yeah. The M2CS is, I think it's, it has to be the BMW's best driving car because it's, I would say it's like 10% better than the M2 competition, just 10%, yeah. but that does make it the best driving BMW right now. Yeah. So it's interesting though, because I think the M2 comp is such a, the, the regular M2 competition is such a good package mm -hmm. that just a couple modifications and it's every bit as good as the m2 cs and a lot cheaper so i think i ruffled some feathers when i said that because a lot of people were saying the m2 cs is you know the most special bmw so mm -hmm. uh i don't know though. i think the m2 comp is such a good good package to begin with that it's tough to beat even yeah you know, by itself you know i haven't driven the m2 cs yet so i don't really um i can't really compare them I mean, i've only seen your review and i've seen a couple of other reviews that we've done in europe but uh the m2 competition for sure i think i i drove the car last in in ascari spain on the racetrack and it was fantastic i probably said at the time that it was the best driving bmw you know today and that's probably still true i don't think there is any other car that comes close to that maybe the z4 m40i it's it's also quite fun yeah that's but, very fun uh, very different but but very fun exactly but the m2 competition absolutely a, a fantastic car it's one of their best sellers you know in the m segment so um i, I was curious to see how the m2 cs you know you know does because every time i would drive a cs car either an m3 cs or an m4 cs i was always impressed with just the little changes that they've done there was enough to make the car you know significantly better so i've said many times that you know that's what the uh, the standard m3 should have been in the uh, cs form because there was such a big difference in between the two even though they've only really done you know, a few changes to the suspension and to the ecu and not and then the differential maybe but that's about it so nothing spectacular so i expected them to see it's going to be the same but if you're seeing only like 10 percent yeah i'm not sure now as far as the price you know that's that's another thing right so i i've seen your review and i've seen another one from mark that basically said yes you know you can add all these parts to it and you can make it an m2cs but is it really an m2cs then like first of all you can't really get that that carbon roof right that's that's the first yeah. thing the carbon mm -hmm. roof you can't really get it from the factory you could try to get it from the, <laughs> from the dealer <laughs> but i don't know if it's i mean there that's a that's a whole tricky no. thing because i don't know if any other it's a bad idea <laughs> it's not even <laughs> Sorry, it's not even that. Sorry. Basically, um, BMW, uh, BMW does offer an, an install on the uh, on on the carbon fiber for DM2 competition. You, oh, I didn't know you, 
you can actually order one yeah the problem is from from what i know in the us there are not many certified dealers that can actually do this or even dealers that want to do this because it's not an easy process right so because you can't do the carbon fiber at the factory on the m2 competition which i'm not sure why i i, I wrote a topic on this one like a while back you have to do it at the, at the dealer and i don't know of any dealers they have done that yet so that's one big change right there but then again it's it's really not like not enough to differentiate between the two but I, i'm assuming they've done enough changes to the to the software tuning and to the differential and a little bit of the suspension and probably some other yeah. tricks here and there that make the car a little bit more special and you're buying that m2cs because you want to have a special car you're not buying the m2cs because it's significantly better than the m2 competition and all of that it's because you have the money and you can buy it i mean honestly if you have the money and you can afford it and it's one of the few cars in the us that you can buy because they're only bringing like i don't know 400 units or something like that then might as well go for it and pricing wise yeah it's about ninety thousand in the us but if you compare it to like switzerland and other places where it's like 130 140 000 euros i mean like wow. ninety thousand dollars <laughs> sounds like a bargain then i mean i've actually yeah, seen point, people yeah. from europe saying hey you know if we had those prices here we would have definitely uh you know sold them a little bit faster so the, there are some markets that i've heard like you know that that they're not sold out yet or they might not be sold out that quickly because of the price but i don't think the us will have a problem selling them then again i think people that buy that car it's because they can afford it they want to have a special bmw not necessarily because you know uh, it's an m2 competition and i can add some parts and make it an m2cs it's not going to be an m2cs it's like taking the 135 is and adding some parts to it and turning it into a 1m it's not going to be the one yeah. i mean no matter what you want to do to it so um that's kind of that's kind of it's just depends how you view it if you view it from your point of view and say yeah it's not it's not worth it i can get the m2 competition because it's good enough absolutely the m2 competition it's good enough for probably 99 percent of the people i don't think the people that buy the m2cs will be track people either i think there'll be people that just really want to have a special m2 and, and that was kind that's of my the, thing, that's actually. the bottom line that was kind of my my point um yeah. I, I didn't clarify it the first time but the m2cs is 10 percent better on the road on the track it's significantly better okay um there's bmw did a lot of work to the differential tuning mm -hmm. the rear diff mm -hmm. and the steering is slightly tweaked and the subframes i think are slightly tweaked mm -hmm. and uh the suspension is obviously different it's adaptive uh on the m2cs mm -hmm. versus the fixed dampers on the m2 competition and on track it's a world of a difference i remember I driving the m2 competition on track like last year or two years mm -hmm. ago and it scared the crap out of me a few times like you know, it, it can get really sideways on you really quickly, but the M2CS I drove on track in the rain and it was so confidence inspiring and you it had so much grip and the rear diff just worked with you so much better. Um, mm -hmm. On track, it's a world of a difference, but I don't see any M2CS owners taking their, you know, relatively limited run special edition BMW to a racetrack and risk damaging it unless they're you know, someone who has like a 911 GT3 RS in the garage as well. I, I just don't see it as that kind of car, mm -hmm. um, which is why I said that I, I don't think it's worth getting over the M2 comp. And, and again, I love the M2 CS. I think it is the best driving car BMW makes. But on the road, you're never going to push it to the point where you notice those those really impressive differences, mm -hmm. so, unless you want to go to jail. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I, I just like on the road, I feel like if you get you know, a you know a new set of coilovers, 
for the M2 competition. You get, you know, better mm-hmm. wheels and stickier tires, maybe a couple of aerodynamic upgrades here and there. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a car that drives every bit as good. Now, will it feel as special? Probably not because the M2 CS has like that carbon fiber central tunnel on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a little more stripped out and lightweight. Yeah. Another thing, the M2 CS sounds a little bit better. Yep, the exhaust sounds better mm-hmm. and the interior has less sound deadening material. So like mm-hmm. you hear everything. So that just kind of yeah. gives you a more visceral feeling. But if you can mm-hmm. live without those things, I don't know if you should spend, that, that was my thing. Like if you can live without that the little bit extra specialness, I think that the M2 competition is just such a good package by itself. I don't know yeah. if it's worth the extra money for the CS. But, but if you have that, the money, but if you have the money, then then why would you not buy the M2CS? Right, right. I mean, if, you have, if you have the money and you can afford it, I mean, you go for it because it's great. Right? I mean, it's like if you have the money and it's only like, I think it's 58, uh, 6 for the M2 competition and Something 83, like 6 for the, uh, for the M2CS. So 25K difference. So for a lot of people, that's not a lot of money. And if they, and especially if they want to keep the car for a, for a while and have a very special car, they will just buy it. I don't. I don't think the the price difference will will stop majority of them. You know, or even thinking about you know I'm gonna give them to Cambridge because it's a better buy for the money. So that's why I don't see that those that comparison very accurate. Just because I truly think there are a lot of people out there that just don't care about 25k and they'll just buy the car because it's different. And, and they'll they'll love it. I mean, if they, if you yeah, have the yeah. money and you buy it, you're no, gonna no. it's gonna be incredible because it. Like I said, it is the best driving car BMW makes right now. It might be the best driving car BMW's made since the One M. So you I see, mean, it's so, so good. So that's that's good enough reason for someone to splurge, you know, the twenty five k, or even or even you know stretch themselves a little bit more to say, hey, you know, by the way, I'm just gonna buy this because it's <laughs> it, it's a gift for me, and I'm not gonna change it for the next ten years. Right. Then if you look at that, it's an investment, you know, in a car, $2,500 per, and, per yeah. year to have something special and to make you feel, you know, special and better and all of that, whatever you want to feel. And uh, then you'll just buy it. But yeah, if you were to, you know, you know, pound to pound comparison or however you want to look at it, you know, then yeah, you know, the empty competition will always win on the, on the price you know uh, yeah, i think value wise the m2 comp exactly. is the better value but exactly no uh, doubt and, and another thing to think about though and I, maybe i didn't think of this before is the m2 cs will appreciate you know it's a limited run car it's if it sells if it if it if it sells out for sure i mean that's the thing because the m3 cs and then the m4 cs or the m4 gts didn't really sell out so oh, I don't. Yeah, so those those things do not really appreciate in value yet. Maybe they will in the future, but for now, I don't think that this. Maybe the M2CS will be the same, but if it sells out like the 1M did, then then for sure. I mean, it's right. even more limited than than the 1M. The 1M they made 715 in the US, and the M2CS probably just 400. So it's definitely more limited. The only difference is that there will be probably some other M2CS is coming in in the future, but there will not be another 1M. So right. that's the that's the big difference. But yeah, likely you know if you sell Audi, you'll appreciate in you know in right. value in the next decade. So there's your uh, BMW blog buyer's advice. If you can afford the CS, grab it. And uh, if you can't manage to get hold of one of the you know the 400 some odd cars that are going to be sold here, you can make you'll be just fine with M2 competition and you exactly. know five to ten thousand dollars worth of mods will get you a car that drives every bit as well as the uh the cs does exactly and actually james uh james who writes for us um mm-hmm. out uh, out in seattle 
he had an M4 competition before, and I think, or an M3 competition, and he switched over, you know, last year or two years ago to an M3 CS. And he loves it. I mean, he probably lost some money on the whole trade and all of that, but you know, he's he's in love with the M3CS. He raves about it. You know, like you know, such a such a great car. You know, better than the M4 competition. So basically, you know, it, it tells you right there if you can afford it and you can might like might as well get the best thing that's out there. But uh, of yeah. course, you know, not not everyone has that money. So some people will be shopping around and they will be looking at the value, and then the M3 competition will definitely serve them quite quite well but same thing with the 1m owners i mean you mentioned about the track and all of that i don't think i mean most of the 1m owners that i know and i know a few of them they don't really go and track their 1ms i mean once in a while they might track it for a little bit you know but nothing serious just just you know tiny bit of track time and they just truly enjoy the 1m as a daily driver even though it's not that great as a daily driver it's pretty <laughs> rough to drive but uh, that's kind of why they, why they bought it. And that's why I had mine too. You know, I enjoy driving it, you know, like on the road. It gets a lot of attention and it's fun. Uh, but not necessarily because I'm going to go like on the track and, you know, uh, have so much fun with, with the car and everything else. Right. So, the uh, one last thing on the M2CS before we switch topics. Um, mm -hmm. It is actually probably a better daily driver than the 1M because the CS is remarkably comfortable on the road. It? It's actually more comfortable than the competition. Is it um, really, yeah. yeah, it's actually like I drove it on back the same exact roads. Like I drove on the roads in the M2. So what was different though? The uh, well, the adaptive dampers. I, I don't even think it's the fact that they're adaptive, like that they can go into a comfort mode. Because as I've had, I mean, I always keep my suspension in comfort mode anyway because I'm a 30 year old mm -hmm. old man. But um, it's just the way they're calibrated, uh, the just the damping rate and everything. It's just they just. There's like a suppleness to it. it; just rounds out bumps better than the competition. Mm -hmm. Now it's firmer, like you kind of feel everything mm -hmm. a little bit more. But there's so much less like impact into the the cabin. You feel so much less like sharp impact. It's a much better calibrated suspension. That was my first takeaway. As soon as I hit the yeah. same roads in the CS, I was like, oh man, it, this rides like much better, despite it's being easy. you know, yeah. it's kind of wild. But you see that proves right there that when you look on paper, you don't see many differences in between the cars. But then when you when you start to like you know you know dive in and and you kind of see all these differences you know carbon fiber here carbon fiber there you know better suspension yeah. you know that better sound things, yeah. yeah better sound and all of that and it starts to add up and then you're like yeah it's actually quite different it's really not the same and you know, no, it, it's not the same, but I, my, my only thing was like if, if you're struggling you know like to, like if you struggle to afford the CS um you know uh, after you know aftermarket coilovers can get you the same ride as the cs and you know an aftermarket exhaust can get you a better you know, you know sound and stuff like that so that's really the thing if you can afford the cs yeah. grab it because it's great you know and if not don't worry because you can get you can still get a brilliant car that's just as good in the m2 competition if you mod it a little bit exactly and i'm sure there will be videos coming out that will probably uh put it to head to head even on like on the track and all of that and I'll oh, be and, curious too. Yeah, to and bone that. stock, the the you know the M two CS is better. If you put it head to head, it's just gonna win. It is. Yeah. Better. So we'll find out more. And I, I honestly, I I'd be reading some of the you know uh, comments from from people on the M two CS, and that's kind of the common theme. If you have the money, buy it. You know, it's. Well, yeah, <laughs> so I mean, it's like anything else. You know, if you've got the money, do it to go for it. Get the best yeah. you can get. You know. Exactly, so, and considering it's eighty three thousand here, and it's. Ninety thousand to a hundred thousand in you know euros in uh, in Germany, we definitely get the get the better deal here. And I'm just looking up right now some some pricing in Europe, France, 
is charging 99.8 you know k euros for the car so that's you know that's 100 and, <laughs> exactly the uk it's not that expensive it's 75 k uh, british pounds about 87.5 so uh, euros yeah so but then in switzerland basically um it kicks off at about 105,000 euros. So that's what, about 110, dollars $115,000. Yeah, that's expensive. So clearly that's definitely more expensive. But um, yeah, yeah sure. so, 80, so 83.6 doesn't sound too bad right now. No, it doesn't. <laughs> if you look at it as like a special collector's car, you exactly. know, it's worth it. I mean, I, it I don't is, think it's good value yeah. when you compare it to like other cars in the segment. But if you're looking at it, it's like, I want the best BMW, it is. Yeah. So. What I really want to see is, uh, I want to see the last units of the M2CS coming out of the production line. Because every time they make a special edition car or something that's very special, uh, the last few units are reserved for like special customers. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how they pick them. But they do have the option to do a BMW individual color on it. And I've already seen one. Uh, coming from Germany, uh, what was the color? Like green one? Uh, I forgot the name of the green. The yellow one was it green? Oh, was was it yellow? I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm not good at that. I think it was. I think it was green, but it was like a greenish yellowy. Was it? It was. Uh, it was certainly interesting. Is it the article I just did? Yeah, I'm gonna look at it right now. Let me see. It yeah, was, it was the like, uh, birch green. You're right. It was yeah, birch yeah, green. So that's quite interesting because that car is gonna be very very unique. Uh, yeah. It's a BMW individual color, so it was painted at the factory. But yeah. they actually don't offer the M2CS with with the individual program. And I saw some people commenting online saying that they would even pay 25k. Apparently, that's how much it costs to get a special, you know, BMW oh individual. God, is it really? and, yeah, for the oh. for the M2CS, and they would pay that money to get a special color, but no one wants to do it for them. So I I have to find out from uh, from BMW M soon. How do they decide who gets to get some of those, you know, special colors on the uh, M2CS, for example? But uh, it, it proves once again, some people have the money, they want to have a special car, and they're just going to pay even 25k extra for just the color, basically. Yeah, that's wild. That's a lot. But I want to see the lesson. Because <laughs> I think the production for the M2CS in Europe has ended now in October or November because of the uh, regulations, the OPF regulations on that engine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the US one will continue into uh, into late uh, 2021. So uh, I'm actually curious to see if they've done any uh, of the last few units in Europe with uh, in individual colors. So this was the first one that I saw, but I'm sure there will be a few other ones too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Also, one thing on it, actually, before we go, the, I drove the M2CS both in DCT and manual. Okay. And the, I mean, if we look at the trends with the way BMWs like special editions are going, like the competitions and stuff, mm. it might be the special edition manual BMW ever makes. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see you know, what they do on the M3 and, and M4, though, the new ones. Yeah, I mean, but because the, the competitions of those cars are only DCT. Oh, true. Yeah, you're right. So you're absolutely right. Sorry. I, yeah. I don't know what their special editions are going to be, you know, if they're going to allow yeah. like a you know, CS to be a manual or not. Um, yeah. And if the next gen M2 will probably have a manual, but. You know, again, with our competition specs and all that being DCT only. I just don't think that the uh, the power in the M3 and M4 competition can be handled by the uh, six-speed manual in that configuration. I mean, probably I, not. But, I think that know. was one of the reasons why I, I uh, they they only do the M3 M4 competition in this in uh, not DCT in uh, eight-speed because mm-hmm. uh, because of the six-speed manual not gearbox not not being able to handle the torque. 
Yeah, um, and, all, and modifications and all of that. And the take rate's probably too low to invest in a new manual that can't handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, probably not worth it financially. Well, it depends. So, Again, you know, you know, funny thing is that they sell more more manual M cars in the U.S. and they sell in Europe, which usually, you know, you you think it's the other way around, especially yeah, since you Euro would, yeah. Europeans are just used to driving manuals. And we're used to, uh, you know, automatic, you know, boxes mm -hmm. here. But apparently, the uh, they sell the most M cars in manual in the U.S. Yeah, yeah I've heard that before, actually, which so always blows my mind because we don't buy anything. Fun true enthusiasts, no, they're yeah, I know. true enthusiasts. You know, a true enthusiast will not necessarily buy the best gearbox. You'll buy the, you know, the most fun gearbox. And that's many times, the that's manual. the yeah, met, like many times, I would say in in, in the case of this one. Like in in the one M, the manual it's rough to drive in the in the city. Not not that much fun, but yeah, the, the CSs is pretty tough too. The clutch was like really touchy. It was really, yeah. it was like kind of learning to get low speed, but that's fine. Yeah. It's, it adds to the character. That's okay. Cool. All right. So what else we have on the plate? Um, well, just briefly, we we uh, wrote an article about it earlier this week, and that's I mean, you talked to um, Andreas Bovensiepen from Alpina. Mm -hmm. and he was talking to you about how Alpina was yeah, working on a BMW i8. So for people that haven't really maybe read the article or previous one, uh, it's not a new topic. Actually, uh, first time that I heard about the Alpina i8 was uh, two years ago, or actually no, it was last year. I was in Germany for an event, and um, we went to drive the Alpina B7, and, and we had uh, dinner with um, with the Alpina guys and with Andreas, the CEO. And that's when the IA topic came up, and he told us the story about the car. He even showed me some photos on his iPhone with the actual car. It was a black I8 with like really white fenders you know really cool looking and unfortunately i asked for the photos and he said actually no fortunately i did ask for the photos but unfortunately andrea said that he cannot share those with me to publish <laughs> so i can only relate what i saw but it was a it was a pimped out i8 you know cool looking in the alpina style with the wheels and everything else so it was kind of ready to go but apparently they couldn't really um get it approved because bmw wanted to kind of separate the the performance side of the i8 from the from the hybrid and green side of it so they didn't really want to mix up you know like m and i and alpina and i and all of that so uh in the end that's kind of what was the decisive factor against the project but then um i shared a story on a uh, on a bmw on a, on a uh, bmw i8 facebook group and some people were really interested to find out how they really built the car and what some of the challenges because even some of those i8 customers they're actually thinking about doing a conversion on their i8 to include a four cylinder uh, 2.0 liter uh, you know gasoline engine to get more power out of it so goes back once again some people really have the money to do things you know and if they have the money they will take their $150,000 i8 and they will strip it down and, and put a different engine in it which will probably be very expensive to do but uh they have the means to do it so they want to do it so i decided to do a follow-up interview with uh with andreas basically and uh we talked over the phone and we went over some of the technical specs and i think you can talk about a, a little bit about the things that they've done but i guess you know the conclusion from my end was that um if you were to build a car you know on your own it's quite challenging 
not only from an engineering standpoint, but also from you know crash test requirements and and calibration and some other things that he mentioned that he would not encourage anyone to even attempt to do this because it's not as easy as it seems and that was kind of the takeaway from the article but nonetheless you know he did share some interesting things you know about the uh about the car and the things that he did so if you want to talk about that you know uh, go ahead uh yeah i mean it was interesting because i actually remember one of the first articles i ever wrote for bmw blog i talked about you know it would be cool to have a more powerful i8 so when you told me about this i, I needed to like you know jump in and, and hear yeah. what you had to say um, and what they did was pretty fascinating. So they stuffed it. They replaced the, the 1.5 three-cylinder engine uh, from the i8, and they, they actually fitted it with the same two-liter turbo four from the M135i, which if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken with the timeline, uh, they were working on that before BMW you know, was working on the M135i, you know, maybe in its early stages. So that might have been the first car to actually have that engine had they released it. Yeah. Um, but just the engine alone bumped it up, you know, over a hundred horsepower. Mm-hmm. And you know, the problem that they faced though wasn't the just putting the engine in; it was the calibration because the I8 is like master craft of calibration because you have a, a, you know a three-cylinder engine and electric motor working the rear axle, and then you have a separate electric motor working the front axle. Mm-hmm. And they're not connected in any way other than electronics, like the two axles aren't connected physically in any way, and yet it drives so seamlessly. And so the calibration is literally perfection. Mm-hmm. So Alpina, when you take one of those variables out and replace it, that calibration is thrown out the window, and you have to completely redo it. And it's he, according to uh, Andreas, it was just way too expensive and way too difficult to try to get that to to work perfectly and work as well as an Alpina product should. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the the expense was just you know far too much and then they also to handle the extra power they beefed up the subframes they they replaced the transmission so instead of the six-speed auto from like a your your typical mini which which is what the i8 uses um it used the same eight-speed auto that you find in um you know the m135i and m235i the ison the the ison yeah yeah the one that's used in bmw's front drive cars Mm -hmm. so they use that and um so you see, even even Leo, your your son, he agrees with the car, you know. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. So he's definitely into it. Yeah, I, I can like I can tell from the background noise that he's he's all he's all excited about the uh, the Alpina i8. Sorry about that. If you can hear him, he's having uh, he's having a board and his quarantine. I'm, I'm um, sure our our listeners would 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 not mind this. So good. Sorry about that, but um, no, it's it's this, see that's one of the downsides, you know of. Uh, of working from home during a uh, pandemic, you know, right, yeah. <laughs> you have to work around the whole family situation and everything exactly. else. But, but at least, you know, we definitely know that Leo is into cars. So that's, <laughs> so that's great. Yeah, he definitely is. He definitely is. And he's three years old and he's very bored from <laughs> running around like crazy. But, um, right. So, yeah. But yeah, they, they, what they did with the i8 is really impressive. So, like, they beefed up the subframes. They, you know, they, they increased, you know, different like structural, actually, they didn't have to increase too much structural rigidity because the carbon chassis was so stiff. Um, but they, they did so much and it was quite a bit faster. I mean, it was, it was over a hundred horsepower more. Yeah. Um, it did gain a little bit of weight though, uh, about a hundred kilos. And he said that that did change the crash testing. So okay. 
um, like they would have had to recrash test it, and that's also very expensive. So mm-hmm. I think I think that the project just got too expensive to be a viable, you know, financial project. It would yeah, I think they also added some intercoolers, like a couple of extra yeah, inter- like yeah. intercoolers to uh, for the for the bigger engine. Right. Uh, I remember talking to me, he was mentioning something about like additional, you know, plastic panels to cover the the wider tires and wheels. Yes. I mean, there were there were quite a few changes done to the car. And I do remember seeing the car. I mean, there were not press photos or any official photos. They were really just photos taken into the uh, from, from the Alpina body uh, like body shop. And uh, and and the car looked really good there too. It also had a uh, like a like a little racing, you know, um, spoiler on it and all of that. So it was it was really good looking car. So yeah, I can imagine because yeah. I mean the standard i8 is stunning. I mean it's you know six seven years old now and it still looks incredible. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine an Alpina one would be just absolutely gorgeous. So I would. I, mean, love I to would. See- I would love to see someone just taking this project on and and building a a uh, an i8 you know track car basically not yeah. not like not for the road but just. You know, take the car, strip it out, similar to the i8 uh, safety car that they've done. And actually, I actually drove one, and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was the same engine, but it was a little bit, uh, a little bit more power from the, from the uh, electric unit. But it was just, it was just very, very raw. I mean, it was, there was no sound isolationing, like, like, uh, like inside the door. There was no rear bench. It was really <laughs> wild. So I would love to see someone, you know, taking that approach and, you know. Ch- swapping out the engine and really building a um, a track i8 and i think I, i've seen someone doing this but i don't recall if they only did the body work and or they also uh, replaced the engine too yeah. but i do remember some of the ia projects from some of the tuning shops well that was the, one of the things that uh he says in the art in the um interview he, he specifically says that he doesn't think that anyone should try to replace the engine unless they're going to get rid of the hybrid tech because trying to get it all to work together properly mm-hmm. would just be way too expensive if you don't have the sort of resources that BMW does to like do that sort of tuning and calibration. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a team of, you know, so so many engineers working on that sort of thing and software engineers and software all sorts of stuff, yeah. it's going to be so difficult to do. So but what he did say was if you were to just swap the en- a different engine in mm-hmm. to rip all the hybrid stuff out, I mean, you're left with yeah. a mid-engine carbon fiber sports car you basically have a bmw mclaren at that point um you know you take all the hybrid stuff out and you throw in a b48 engine or something Mm -hmm. you know 300 horsepower and it's you know and without the 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 i8 it's like 30 400 ish pounds with all the hybrid stuff you rip all that stuff out you're probably sub 3,000 pounds um you know 300 horsepower is plenty Mm -hmm. at that point you'd have an incredible car so i would love to see someone do that take all the electric stuff out swap in a you know a bigger engine and mm-hmm. have a, have some fun i think that would be an incredible car especially yeah, for the track actually the one thing that i forgot to ask him was uh what actually happened to the car <laughs> oh did they slap actually, it? i i'm i'm not sure if they if they uh, kept it in, in in some of their you know hidden places where they have all these prototypes or they just crashed it or you know i i'm not sure that'd be very area somewhere yeah i definitely forgot to ask you know because I know that BMW usually doesn't just scrape projects. They 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 save some of those unique one-offs, you know. And um, in the future, yeah. they uh, they tend to showcase them. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that, that like, the, it would be uh, kind of cool that if they actually save the car and one day they'll just do like a display of it to 
kind of prove what they can do actually because they're they're a fantastic company they're a fantastic automaker and um oh yeah they have the they have the means and the engineering capability to really to really tune or perfect any bmw that comes out yeah i mean you know me i have like an unhealthy love for alpina um mm. everything they make i think is amazing you know i'm just kind of bummed we don't get cars like the b3 and stuff here yeah, I mean, we will get the probably the B8 if it comes out. I think we we saw that they're they're testing the B8 Grand Coupe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm was... assuming they'll probably come to the US because the B6 was was actually sold here too. So we might see that in the US. And I'm assuming being a, a Grand Coupe like an M8 Grand Coupe, it will be quite luxurious and quite cool in typical Alpina style. Great. I actually think that'll work better than the M8 Grand Coupe because it's such a comfortable car as it is. You add Alpina mm-hmm. stuff, it's just going to get even better. You know, it's going to yep, get yep, even more exactly. luxurious. And nice, so, yeah, agreed. Yeah, a shame we didn't get the i8. That would have been amazing. Yep. Maybe in in the future with some yeah, of the electric cars. The... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's getting All late right. already. Sounds so, good. Uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on and talking about some some stuff yep, for me sounds today. Good always appreciate you know um talking to you i think you know as a preview to um to our listeners we will try to do this on video too in the future so yes. especially with some of those topics that are really interesting you know i think people will be uh probably more interested to see us on camera too so uh, that way we can upload to youtube and there is a different audience there as well so we will try to do like some episodes you know video as well and that's something coming up, but as always, you know, they can follow us on all those platforms, the podcast mm-hmm. platforms. I think we're on all of them right now, right? I think from Spotify yeah, to yeah, Apple to Amazon yeah. to Stitcher, I think stuff. if yeah, so we should be good. Yeah, the right. main ones, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, hey. man. Yeah, thanks, Nico. Yeah, stay safe, you and your family, and we'll yeah, talk soon. All right. all right, take care. Bye. Bye.